0: I'm Dave Baker. And I'm Andrew Price. And I'm Jackson Stewart. Welcome to Deep Cuts, the podcast where we pick an obscure topic and walk you through the ins, outs, and nitty gritty so you could appear like an interesting and idiosyncratic person at your next forced social function. Today's topic is... The 1993 Congressional Hearings on Video Game Violence. What caused Congress to convene public hearings about video game violence? Well... Joe Lieberman and a crew of his subordinates worked in tandem to attempt to bring the major powers of the video game industry to task for corrupting the hearts and minds of young children with uber violent and aggressive games, most specifically Mortal Kombat and Night Trap. What no one realized at the time was that this crusade would end up eventually fundamentally altering the course of American culture forever. Act one, Joe Lieberman sitting by his lake house, and then it explodes. He looks to camera, crying a single tear, and literally none of us feel bad. Cast your mind back to the yesteryear of the late 1980s. Video games are all the rage. Movies are shiny and sleek and kind of without any teeth. And the Cold War is ending. Aquanet is the hairstyling product of choice. Hair metal is everywhere. Reaganomics are about to fuck over an entire generation. The AIDS epidemic is quietly ravaging the gay community, and governmental officials are turning a blind eye. To put it simply, it's Reagan's America, which then, as we lead into the early 1990s, the country has a cultural swing back the other direction. Gangster rap starts to become popular, social norms start to become slightly more accepting, the 80s careerism is supplanted by an entire generation of people who don't have nearly as homicidal a dedication to their perceived upward mobility, thus having them branded as slackers. Independent cinema begins to balloon. There's also still a heavy quotient of style over substance that comes along as a direct lineage to the work being produced in the 80s. Here's looking at you, all the people on movie sets who said the words, let's use a fisheye! And of course, the biggest divergence is video games. Yes, obviously they took off in the 80s, but they enveloped culture in a distinctly new way in the 1990s. They simply put, dominated the homes of America. Multiple home gaming systems were bought and used every day. They transitioned from being a nerdy pastime of shadow dwelling neckbeards to being a nerdy pastime of people with face beards and some non face beards the main two home video game consoles at the time were the super nintendo and the sega genesis the rival titans the big two the twin poles
1: dearest jack were you a nintendo person oh, i was literally a gonna, sega person i was gonna interrupt you and ask that exact question <laughs>
2: (laughs) Yeah, you know, initially I grew up on the Nintendo Entertainment System. I think I've I've met one person who had a master system when we were growing up. But I kind of, I was kind of a trainer and then switched over to Sega Genesis because it was like the adult console and Mortal Kombat was actually a, a big part of that was the, you know, because that had the blood code and Super Nintendo didn't and so it was like super nintendo was like the kid console and i was like i want to be like a cool teenager you know so um i I defected over to sega and uh kind of hung there for a while i'll say
1: what about you andrew picture that morpheus meme (laughs) what if i told you i was both (laughs) And no, it wasn't because I was like a rich kid who bought both. It was because in my immediate family with my mom and my stepdad and my brother, it was all Nintendo. I had the Nintendo. I had the Super Nintendo. I had the N64 and then eventually transitioned to the PlayStation. But at my dad's house, it was all Sega all the time. And it was and it was basically what you were talking about. It was like that, but it wasn't like a transition into adulthood or like a transition into adolescence. It was a, it was just like a simultaneous dichotomy of my own, you know, id ego and superego where <coughs> in my, in my immediate household, I would, it was like, Oh, you know, a more wholesome, like Nintendo, my mom is a little bit more strict and she's a little bit more monitoring what we do and what we watch. And she doesn't want me to watch The Simpsons or Ren and Stimpy. And then over at my dad's house, it was like, fucking mortal combat horror movies fuck
2: <laughs> yeah it's i mean i i find it really bizarre kind of like what parents were upset about and what what they weren't i mean i don't know how how your guys uh, uh, were but i remember like they they were fully aware of like you could like rip someone's like spinal column out in mortal combat and you know we're pretty unfazed by that but if i was like watching pulp fiction or something like they were like it, you know my mom was aghast by that i was like one of these i'm like actually like killing the person and the other is just like you know watching events on screens so um Interesting stuff, I, I suppose. But yeah, you you did a, a very good job of summarizing the the uh, d- different psychological facets of uh, '90s video games and and their specific consoles.
1: Do you guys know about like the controversy behind the digitized actors that did the the first Mortal Kombat or the first yeah the first one just the first one?
2: Yeah, I I, I actually know like a ton about this game and and kind of video game history. But I know it was like Daniel Piscina. I think it's the guy's mm-hmm. name,
1: Daniel Pascina,
3: yeah. Who
2: played? Yeah, so he played. He played Johnny Cage, Sub Zero, and Scorpion, and I think maybe Reptile or something. Yeah, he was. Um, yeah,
1: he was all of the of the masked ninja characters, and then Johnny Cage, and he was also the stunt coordinator for the entire the the entire shoot.
2: Yeah, and you know, and then I think there was. There was something with um, there was like a rival game, which I'm spacing what it was, but I know he did like an advertisement for that as like a kind of an fu to like the Mortal Kombat creators because they like paid him way more money to do this advertising. But it was basically like, didn't they try to like unionize or get residuals or something for their likenesses when it became like a?
1: That was basically it. Was that these actors who who were the original characters in? in uh, the first Mortal Kombat, which was mo- like mostly Daniel Pesina and then a couple other actors that, you know, the, the woman that played Sonia and then the guy who played Kano and maybe a couple, and then I think a different guy played Raiden or maybe Daniel Pesina did. I forget. But at any rate, they kind of realized they started talking amongst themselves and they were just like, these guys like paid us like, just like one-off like commission fees to, to do the, the, the to film these, these, uh, these performances to digitize, but they've essentially taken our likenesses and created game characters. Like, I guess they just didn't really think about it that way whenever they sort of agreed to do it, but they realized that they had just gotten paid like peanuts to go for like a day of shooting but they were turned ostensibly into video game characters and their likenesses were 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 harnessed and licensed and put onto game covers and put onto arcade cabinets and put onto posters and advertisements and things like that. And then they were just like, wait a minute, what the fuck? And so they asked, they were like, we need like some percentage of residuals from these things. And they were like, no. So they all quit. And that's why in Mortal Kombat two, Johnny Cage isn't in it and
2: well no, no 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 he's in he's in the second one I think or is it, was it
1: three like, yeah that's what I couldn't remember it was, it was.
2: three is where he it's not because it's the same actress who did I can't yeah I think it's like the same most of the same people are in part two I know like Kano and Sonya aren't in Mortal Kombat 2 yeah but, I forget if it was two or yeah. three but he
1: famously Johnny Cage was missing from one and it was because he quit and you know they just they basically were like well instead of trying to replace him with a new actor they were just like fuck this character we don't need you we don't need Johnny Cage but in actuality a lot of people really miss Johnny Cage
2: oh me too well I remember in that one like that was actually like where I kind of soured on the franchise initially cause like I always played as Johnny Cage and then when he wasn't in it I went and picked up Mortal Kombat 3 and I was like yeah it's kind of the roster kind of sucks. It's like you're playing as like sector and like cabal who like who gives a shit about him. Like he he just had like a weird mask, and Sub Zero didn't have his his like ninja getup anymore, which was really weird. Like that always bothered me. And Scorpion wasn't in it. It was just like there was such a bizarre roster for part three. And then I think they that weird realized that weird that, like
1: SWAT kinda, like, team cop up. guy.
2: Yeah, there was Striker. Yeah, Striker. Like, an, like a like a like a SWAT team dude, and it, like it was it was just, it just seemed like so random. Like they were just throwing ideas around without any cohesion.
0: These two previously mentioned companies, Sega and Nintendo, were fighting for the hearts and minds, and most importantly, wallets of children everywhere. The industry and the country as a whole had been grappling with how to handle adult themes in entertainment for a while. In the 1980s, it was a parents group dubbed Parents Music Resource Center, a.k.a. PMRC, which campaigned against the music of what they termed the Filthy Fifteen. Wasp, Madonna, Prince, and numerous other artists were lambasted for potentially corrupting the youth of America. It's interesting to see Madonna and Prince and Wasp. <laughs>
2: It was. I was just gonna say. I just watched um, the Decline of Western Civilization Part Two. I don't know if you've seen that, but yeah, and it's like, uh, what, what the hell is the, it's like? It's, I can't remember if it's Blackie Lawless or Chris. What I can't remember the guys in was what their names are, but one of them's like drunk in his in his like mom's pool and is. Just being like a like an openly a disgrace um, to humanity, and it is very amusing. Uh, which I, I wonder if that had any part in them getting on that that filthy fifteen.
0: I hope so. I hope they were
1: just like fuck this guy and his mom's pool. <laughs> I mean, I think it, I, it was really just the 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 fifteen song because, like, uh, in addition to this, there was like we're not going to take it by Twisted Sister, and they were they were literally all just songs that were like. This song, in some way, expresses dissent towards authority, or in some way insinuates that human beings have sex sometimes. Like th- that was the that was the criteria for these songs on this list.
2: Well, the, I remember too. It was like. I what was the i know that, like the wasp song was like was it like fuck like a beast was that the title yeah that was it yeah because i remember they were just like curl clutching like fucking crazy over that and then um but yeah i mean it's just such a bizarre like menagerie of disparate musical acts that they threw together in there and it's like they're also, like you know, missing like Gigi Allen and like a lot of these like crazy offensive ones. Uh, it's just it's hilarious to me now. It, like they they were offended by that.
3: Back yeah, in the it's back. like if,
1: if you if you think that we're not gonna take it by this goofy glam band, Twisted Sister is offensive. <laughs> wait till you hear Il Duce.
2: <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs>
1: But uh, but fa- famously also, you know, this th- there was the PMRC uh, congressional hearing and or the Senate hearing and uh, Frank Zappa, John Denver and Dee Snyder all went up and testified and they, they did such a good job that this basically boiled down to just kind of putting warning stickers on the CDs as opposed to all the censorship that they were sort of proposing.
2: Yeah, which it's it's like fucking crazy too because if you've you know i mean like i've, I've listed, or you know i've gone back and like watched some of that and it's like man you do not want to fuck with frank zappa like <laughs> he is a smart motherfucker like he goes up there and it's like you can tell they all have their their knives out just ready to like shank him and he like he's like fucking bulletproof through that whole session and you're i mean he's He's, he's so deceptively brilliant and I mean like he made a lot of you know really cool music but it's like you know some of these guys it's like you listen to them in an interview and you know they're, they're they've got like a head full of rocks and like with him he's I mean he's just utterly brilliant and uh, yeah, let's, just,
1: let's just say that Captain Beefheart wouldn't have gone up there and convinced anybody of anything
2: no <laughs> <laughs> definitely, definitely not Definitely
0: not. These were echoes of the cries of preserving innocence that has existed as far back as the U.S. has been a country. Here's looking at you, Frederick Wortham, and the mass panic his Senate trials on the juvenile delinquency connection to comic books spawned. Someone out there is uh, is stamping a bingo card.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. The PMRC was an organization that was founded by Tipper Gore and Susan Baker. They took these musical artists to task, eventually going so far as to arrange a Senate hearing where the artists in question and the concerned parents could have their views heard publicly. Ultimately, the fallout of these hearings was parental advisory stickers being added to numerous musical albums... being deemed explicit. Despite the fact that this happened during the mid-80s, this topic of how media influenced children would become something of a staple over the next few decades. In one case that's often cited by pro-censorship lobbyists, a young boy burned down his entire trailer home, causing the accidental death of his baby sister. He was playing with a lighter, purportedly, because he saw Beavis and Butthead playing with lighters. The boy's mother offered testimony that this was, in fact, the truth, and this young man was obsessed with the cartoon Yuckleheads. Numerous cases like this existed all throughout the 80s and 90s. With the ubiquity and democratization of home entertainment like cable TV and home video game consoles, adults were discovering for the first time what their kids were into, and they
1: didn't like it. This goes back to what we were talking about in the Bella Thorne episode. With this cycle of every X amount of time, some, you know, celebrity, some f- young female celebrity transitions out of their Disney phase and makes this big public show of owning their own sexuality or, or whatever they're doing. And then every single time everybody falls for it and clutches their pearls. Th- this is the same thing where there's just like every 10 years, there's a huge... Social panic about something that, you know, the satanic panic of the 80s. This thing with the PMRC, you know, moms against whatever. I forget the name of the that organization, uh, you know, Mothers was,
2: against drunk driving.
1: Yes, that, <laughs>
2: um,
1: that that's that's, to, that's that's total propaganda. Uh, there's <laughs> it's censorship. People Yo, should be allowed to drive, drive drunk anytime that they want. Um. No, the, the, I'm the, drunk driving <laughs> right now. Right now, as we speak, you I am really drunk are. and driving. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, the, the the coalition that was like really in the '70s, who was like really big against Kiss and was like, "Their Kiss stands for Knights in Satan Service," and all the, and all that, and the whole thing where they thought that like playing records backwards had like satanic messages satanic in
2: it. Panic, and, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: And then as we're gonna get into the video game thing in in the in the mid to late '90s, and and now it's kind of like. And then at at one point it was rap music. And then now it's kind of like overly, you know, overly sexualized music and movies and TV shows. Like it's just every 10 years, there's another thing that happens where it's just the same. They just trot out the exact same rhetoric. It's like a find and replace of what the actual subject is about, but it's all the same bullshit argument.
2: Yeah. I mean, it's well, and I mean the weird thing too, that I never see them kind of bring up in this is like, this is, Probably a deterrent from like a lot of like real psychopaths out there to do this stuff. You know, it's like, oh, well, because they have this game and they can just go do it in there. They don't end up doing it in real life, which is probably the more truthful version of that is that it's like because they're able to like get their, you know, quote unquote fix as it were it's probably like stopping a lot more of that than it's actually creating. Um, Cause you know, historically, if you look back through it, it's like a lot, it's, you know, I mean like the murder rates have like dropped pretty significantly from like when, you know, I was born in the mid eighties. It's like definitely not as, you know, not that they don't still happen, but I mean, it's, a lot lower than it used to be. So I don't know.
1: I have a bunch of statistics about what exactly you're talking about that I've compiled. And in short, just to briefly touch on it, that's absolutely right. And in the history of the United States, the peak level of the highest percentage of violent crime in the country was 1980 and it's just slowly dropped and then at a certain point rapidly dropped since then.
2: Oh yeah. well, and, and it's also too, I mean, it's like there's so many, I mean like those movies like Death Wish and Dirty Harry and stuff that were being made at that time it's like they, they were coming from like a very real place of like fear and panic where people were like terrified to like walk the streets at night and and that kind of thing and I mean that is not the case now. You know, I mean, it's like you can pretty much walk wherever at night and not really have to, like, worry about your safety. I mean, at least that's how I felt in my adult life. Like, I've, I've never once been worried about, like, getting getting mugged or, or what have you, you know?
1: Thanks, Rudy Giuliani. <laughs>
0: One of the main culprits in the eyes of parents was a video game franchise called Mortal Kombat. Originally developed by Midway Games in 1992, Mortal Kombat was a fighting game that took inspiration from kung fu films and Chinese mythology. The game was created by Ed Boon and John Tobias. The two were originally making a game that was going to prospectively star Jean Claude Van Damme. However, this fell apart, and the rest, as they say, is history, which is partly why, if you squint, Johnny Cage bears a strong resemblance to old JCVD. The game was centered on a mythical plane of reality in between dimensions that once every hundred years would call fighters from various planes to battle for the fate of the multiverse. The game was hyper-violent and relished in its gruesome viciousness. Think the not-safe-for-work version of Street Fighter. 1992 was the year where things took a big turn. The video game company Acclaim launched a $10 million ad campaign to promote the already best-selling video game Mortal Kombat. Mortal Kombat was unignorable. No matter who you were, where you lived, or what level of involvement you had in video games, you knew about Mortal Kombat. By 93, the video game industry was estimated to pull in close to $6 billion a year, having come back from the horrific crash of the 1983 recession that almost destroyed many of the top dogs in the field, including Atari. Bro, I'm not gonna lie. That that trailer is so well made that I am right now like, fuck this. Let's go play Mortal Kombat.
2: It's it's crazy effective. How how <laughs> like yeah. I like I would go drive to an arcade right now if they were open and it was not uh, dangerous and. Probably drop ten dollars on that
1: thing. All from a company who previous to this was most known for making pinball games.
2: Before we leave that trailer, I just want to describe
0: it a little bit for the viewer or listener since they couldn't see it. But it's basically like intercut footage of this kind of sepia-toned, murky, anxiety-fueled footage of kids standing in an urban environment with their hands over their heads screaming Mortal Kombat and then rapid intercutting footage of people running. Um, presumably to go watch someone play Mortal Kombat. Um, but it has this real sense of energy and, um, sense of menace to it, which I don't, I don't know that I, I see many commercials made that way now, where it's, it's a video game ostensibly uh, marketed at children, but not really. But the movie, the, the trailer itself looks like a movie. Like the trailer
1: itself has a real cinematic quality to it. Dave, that was that was actual footage of Rudy Giuliani cracking down on crime in New York City.
2: (laughs) You know, the thing that's interesting to me about that is it's like that ad is basically like creating like a real frenzy around the property. And they do a really smart. This is a great secret for advertising, but. Repetition is very helpful with getting people to buy your products like if you keep repeating the same name or whatever over and over again, it sticks in people's heads. And you know, I remember this thing crystal clear from what I first saw when I was, you know, eight or nine or whatever at the time. And it's like, oh, yeah, the commercial is exactly how I remember it. It's like the people like pumping their fists, screaming them, like running through the streets to like get their copy of Mortal Kombat. And then all the like awesome game footage of them breaking boards and, you know, fucking hitting people with fireballs. And yeah, it's like, how, how could you not want to play that? It's highly enticing.
1: That's a really good point to make on Deep Cuts, the podcast that takes you through the ins, the outs and the nitty gritty. So you can appear like a more interesting and idiosyncratic person at your next forced social function.
0: But, you know, that's a really good point, though, Andrew, uh, in a similar way to the fact that this is Deep Cuts, the podcast where we pick a topic and walk you through the ins, the outs, and the nitty gritty, so that you can appear like an interesting and idiosyncratic person at your next forced social function. I guess it's also, and we should talk about the fact that this game got released on both platforms, the NES and... Uh, Sega Genesis and that the only real difference is that in one, which you mentioned previously, Jack, that uh, on the Sega, there was a blood code, which means you could put a code in and every time somebody punched each other, there was blood. No,
1: Dave, that wasn't the only difference. The other (laughs) way bigger difference is that on the Genesis, it had fucking blast processing. It's
2: true, which as much as people make fun of that, that was actually a real which is why Sonic was, like, so fucking crazy and frenetic. It's because there was, like, some weird, like, data burst that, like, the Genesis could do that for some reason, like, the Super Nintendo couldn't.
1: The Genesis had the blast processing, which is what you were talking about, but they branded it with this extreme title, and, yeah. <laughs> it, and then Super Nintendo had the, I forget what it's called, but Super Nintendo basically had the technology in it where they could create the like parallax scrolling backgrounds and things.
2: Yes. Yeah. And Sega couldn't, couldn't do that. But I, I mean, it's like, you know, pound for pound, the Super Nintendo was certainly like the superior console and had like a much higher, you know, color grade and all this other stuff. But, you know, I think at the time, it was just like the Genesis is all black and it is fucking badass. And they, you know, the Super Nintendo, they kind of made it just look like it was like something from play school, basically, where it was like... Gray, and there's these like purple knobs, and it just looked very kid friendly, you know, whereas like the Genesis looked like something out of, you know, Blade Runner, basically. The
0: next game that started to cause a commotion was Night Trap, developed by Digital Pictures and put out on Sega CD, a CD ROM attachment for the Sega Genesis. It's basically an interactive movie. It uses video, and it's kind of a choose your own adventure tactics style video experience. The game is centered around the disappearance of teenage girls at a winery estate. It stars Donna Plato of different strokes. It was intended to be a send-up of old monster movies,
1: specifically 1950s vampire films. Jackson, were you also into these FMV games?
2: Oh, God, yeah, dude. I mean, I, I like I could never find them, but those, like, Sega CD, you know, FMV games, I was crazy obsessed with them. I mean, like whenever I could kind of stumble across them, I, I like the, the main ones I remember from that period, there was like phantasmagoria, which um, was pretty violent. If I, if I remember correctly. And then I think like the sevens guests might've been an V game. Um, there weren't a ton of them, but I mean, they 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 were definitely out there. There was a uh, well, night trap, obviously. And then I'm trying, I mean, what, what were some of the other like big ones of the, can you remember any, Andrea?
1: Plumbers don't wear ties.
2: Plumbers <laughs> don't wear ties, which I fucking love that angry video game nerd episode covering that. It's absolutely hilarious, but, um, yeah, I don't, uh, it's it, like i remember thinking at the time i was like games cannot possibly look better than this because it's like they're real actors and they're they're doing you know it like it, it just felt like oh you're like playing a movie
1: wing commander um, the wing commander games too
2: yeah and like wasn't mark hamill in like one of one or multiple of those
1: yes 100%. Let me I'm going to look that was up.
2: There a, was there a Wing Commander movie? Yeah, with one, Freddie, Freddie, Freddie Prince
1: Jr was it was in the Wing Commander movie.
2: Yeah, it was Freddie Prince Jr, Matthew Lillard and someone else whom I'm spacing, but I I, I never got around to seeing Yeah, he it.
1: was in he was in Wing Commander 3. Mark Hamill was. Wing Commander 3: Last Vengeance. Heart of the Tiger, not not that far off.
0: <laughs> the final game that was discussed during the eventual congressional hearings was Lethal Enforcers, which was put out by Konami. I wish, script, it was, it says, I wish that it was. I wish that it was legal enforcers.
1: I wish that it was that. I really <laughs> wish that that was what the game was. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even understand what legal enforcers is. It's like a, it's like a way more boring version of Phoenix Wright, where it's just like it's just like you play a a team of lawyers. In instead of the Konami Justifier, do they just
0: give you a gavel? Yes. <laughs> oh god the game used light guns to allow players to take a role on as police officers gunning down criminals the game features photorealistic graphics in that they actually used digital photos in a form of stop motion to simulate the feeling of a movie the game shipped with the konami justifier a plastic gun which was used to shoot the criminals these three games would set in motion a seemingly unavoidable chain of events that would eventually result in widespread change to the entire video game industry. Thanks for listening to this episode. You should definitely go like the Facebook page for the Deep Cuts pod because we do lots of cool video content on there that you'll be sure to like. Also, please join our facebook group
1: that's deep cuts podcast on facebook and the deep cuts podcast facebook group also follow us on instagram at deep cuts pod
0: act two in instances of self-policing does ACAB still apply prior to the congressional hearings kicking off the two major video game companies could actually feel the sea change coming Nintendo, a notoriously conservative company, had strict content guidelines about what could be shown in the games created for their systems. Sega, on the other hand, was distinctly less family-friendly, and as such, created its own gaming rating system preemptively. Similar to the comic book publishers... Yeah, basically, this is the same weird false gambit that the comic book publishers tried to do in the 50s, where they're like, we've got our own! We've got our rating system! Please don't do this congressional hearing! And nobody buys it,
1: and it doesn't work. The same thing happened with the with the the PMRC hearings with the record com- industry too. Like they literally did the exact same thing. They proposed uh, their own self policed rating system to try to stop the the hearing from happening, and then it just didn't happen. Didn't work.
0: The Sega rating systems are GA, MA thirteen, and MA seventeen. Jack, you want to guess what those ratings stand for? You want to guess what
2: those what those little guys uh, stand for? There's Okay so GA's general audiences i think um, what would, then there's it was MA13 MA 13, MA 13. mature audiences of 13 and over is that right and then uh, and then what is then there's MA which is mature audiences or is it MA seventeen? It's, it's, it's
0: MA seventeen. In the in the Sega version, it's MA seventeen. Yeah.
2: Yeah. So it's it's mature audiences over seventeen. And then isn't there like an adults only rating, like an AO? Uh,
0: there is one that's adults, but that's later. Uh, yeah, that's, that's in the actual. F- yeah. Yeah. I like yeah, the, I like these, the
1: British rating system though. Peggy 18.
0: Yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. But yeah, that's...
0: It's just such... It's just so flawed in concept, though. Like, saying that a 13-year-old is mature just sets you up to look like a weirdo.
2: Yeah. Well, I mean, I... I, re- I yeah, I always thought, like, it was... To me, I was like, I want the MA-17 one because that's, like, the highest level of, you know, debauchery you can get into it at, you know, 10 years old or whatever, so um but I, like what was i mean i'm guessing like street fighter was probably like ma13 because you're beating people up and maybe like streets of rage is that
0: yeah i don't know how many i don't know how many games actually shipped with their rating system i think they did institute it and it, it they used it but i don't know that it was super widespread because it was a false flag it was like a, we're doing this to just calm you guys down we don't actually give a shit about this at all
2: yeah, I know they, uh, Mortal Kombat 2 definitely had that MA-17 rating on it. Um, I don't know. I can't think of any other examples, though, off, off the top of my head. I,
1: I think the reason for that is there really actually weren't that many other heavily violent games for the Genesis. It was really just kind of Mortal Kombat.
2: Yeah, I mean... <laughs> There were, like, a... Yeah, I don't think there, there really I, were. I mean, I know on Sega CD, there was, like... Or Sega 32X, there was, like, Corpse Killer, which you we were, like, shooting zombies and stuff, which, uh... It was, like, Splatterhouse. Lapier, well, Splatter... Yeah, Splatterhouse was... It was around that. I, Splatterhouse 3 actually has some, like, shit in it that's way more disturbing than Mortal Kombat. There's, like this early puzzle or there's an early bit in the game where your, your wife gets these like boar worms put in her and they're literally like eating her intestines from like the inside and making their way up to her brain. And if you fail like the time trial, she just has this like massive like bulge in her head and her eyes are all white. It is way more fucking disturbing than ripping some guy's spine out in Mortal Kombat. It's, so fucked.
0: Spooky times. That's what I have to say about that. Spooky times. Too spooky for me. These were all instituted in the spring of 1993. Nintendo, however, didn't like these readings. They thought they were confusing and made video games seem less child friendly. The eternal debate that pops up in these situations time after time is does media influence us or is it a reflection of the world that we live in? Does television violence lead kids to be more violent? Do video games make these children even more violent because they're living out these fantasies and controlling characters committing these horrible actions?
1: Yeah, so I want I wanted to tie these things to some, some numbers because, I mean, I don't think we're definitely not the first people to compile these numbers, but in doing research, I time and time again saw this sort of sentiment that I totally agree with, which is that interestingly enough, and maybe we'll talk about this more later on. But interestingly enough, this whole discussion about violence in video games and violence in media and its effect on society has weirdly transitioned from a conservative talking point to a liberal talking point. And, you know, back in these old days, the, the conservative talking point was that it was like corrupting children and it was causing violence, whereas now it's sort of transitioned into this liberal talking point of how the normalization of these things in media has an overall ripple effect on society as a whole whether there's validity to either one of those arguments i i don't i'm not necessarily saying it's 100% wrong but i do think that it's important to take a step out of an emotional place and and you know take a more objective look at what you're talking about And in that sense, there's literally thousands of studies and data aggregations around this because it's been such a hot button topic for decades. So there's there's tons of studies and tons of correlations to look at. And so I've sort of compiled some stuff here. Video game sales and number of games produced start to rise in the early nineties around the time of the congressional hearings that we're talking about. And then they explode in the mid nineties around the release of the PlayStation and N64 through the early two thousands with the release of the PlayStation two, which is the highest selling home console of all time, um, non-handheld. They reach a peak in the mid-2010s and then start to fall with the rise of popularity of smartphones and mobile entertainment. There's a graph here that you guys can see, but, you know, for the listeners, basically, uh, this is a graph of the the evolution of video game sales, uh, both in sales and then also video game production. So, um, it's relatively low at no, towards zero throughout the eighties leading up to the early nineties. And then in about 1992, it starts to, it starts to go up gradually. And throughout the nineties, uh, into the mid two thousands, it reaches an all time high uh, of about 700 million units sold versus 700 million 1400 games produced in a year in around 2009 and then at that point, it starts to go down because iPhones come out and people start playing stupid little like time waster games and start texting more and using the Internet on their phones and people just start playing video games less. And so now looking at the crime rates, so murder rate in the United States hits its peak in 1980. Then in the early 90s, around the time of the congressional hearings, murder rates dropped dramatically from 1991 to 2016. Murder rates have gone down by 45 percent. All major violent crime rates have dropped between 30 to 60 percent since then. So, if you, so in this graph, as you can see, kind of mapping it over the video game sales graph um, in around the early 90s. Uh, The murder rate in the United States drops dramatically throughout the 90s into the 2000s. So, yeah, it drops from 10 people per 100,000 people down dramatically to in the 2000s leading up to 2010s, cutting it in half to a little less than five people per 100,000 people. And it starts to rise a little bit in hmm, 2016. Who would have thought? Um, (laughs) I don't understand. What is that? What is that reference to? I don't know. Just just an interesting little who knows what that means. Just.
0: Yeah, I can't think of anything important that happened in 2016.
1: Me neither. So here are the actual kind of numbers for the for the violent crime rate. So um from 1991 to 2016, the murder has dropped by 45 percent. Um, and all these other violent crimes, as you can see, have dropped either between 30 to 60 percent. And then you can actually look at youth or juvenile violent crime because you might say like, oh, maybe crime as a whole has dropped. But there could be some kind of spike in youth specific violent crime. But actually, when you look at this, the drop in violent crime for ages 12 to 17 years is pretty much identical to the overall crime drop at around 1993 ish. It's it drops dramatically from. Um, Number of violent crimes in one. So so it drops dramatically from about like eleven hundred violent crimes per year to, uh, you know, as of currently more in the realm of like under 200. Yeah. Drilling down into the youth violent crime statistics, they basically look the same. Youth violent crime has gone down to about one fifth of what it was in the pre early 90s. However, gun specific violent crime has gone up between 1982 and 2006. There was an average of 1.6 mass shootings per year. Between 2007 and 2019, there were an average of 5.4 mass shootings per year. So it has risen dramatically on, on average per year for mass shootings specifically. From 1949 to 1998, there were nine mass shootings where at least 10 people were killed. One every five years. This is the span of 47 years in total. From 1999 to 2019, there were 18 mass shootings where at least 10 people were killed, one per year. This is the span of 20 years. So we went from one mass shooting every five years, pre 1999 to one shooting every year since then. Some high profile mass shootings either had strong ties to video games or directly credited video games with inspiring them to do their shootings. So the most notable ones where there was some specific correlation where either the shooters had talked about liking to play violent video games or they actually said that they were directly inspired by it there are four very high profile shootings in which this happened which is the Columbine shootings the Sandy Hook shootings the Parkland shootings and the Navy Yard shootings Um, but out of the 18 mass shootings between 1999 and 2019 Only those four had shooters with strong ties to video games. So it might, from an outside perspective, from a cursory glance, be like, oh, man, these the biggest shootings that have really happened in the last 20 years, all centered around this narrative of like we were into playing Grand Theft Auto or whatever, but in actuality, it was only those four out of all of the shootings that happened in 2002, the Secret Service conducted a report that concluded that only 12 percent of school shooters expressed interest in violent video games. Basically, it's inevitable that you'd be able to link mass shootings with video games because basically all mass shootings are committed by young men and 72% of men under the age of 30 play video games, 58% of men from 30 to 49 play video games. An often cited study from 2014 claimed that people who play violent shooting games like Call of Duty got more headshots in real-world target practice, and this study has been trotted out anytime anyone wants to show the real-world effects of violent video games, but the issue is that the study was quickly retracted because nobody, including the original researchers who conducted the study, could ever replicate the results of the study. The reason for this is that certain lobbyists and organizations will pay researchers to conduct a study and basically fudge it to get the result they want, not caring if People immediately disprove the study because once the original study is out there, it can be circulated and used as evidence and people won't care or even know that it was later retracted.
2: Which is so weird because it's like that's almost like, you know, to, to use a, an in vogue uh, term right now, it's like that's almost like the precedent for, uh, quote unquote, fake news because it's like there's I I, and it's interesting because it's like I've heard so many people um, who've like been in in the research world kind of say similar things where it's like a lot of times scientific data you know it's very hard to when when they're like getting doing like a certain experiment or a hypothesis or whatever it might be you know you get like a pretty set outcome and there's like variables and what have whatever that you can throw in there but so many of these things it's like they're basing it on you know like a handful of people and a lot of times it's like they're just cooking the books which is just so fucked up and shitty that they're you know openly kind of manipulating this thing and i'm sure this stuff like trickle-down economics or whatever is like directly linked to this kind of nonsense but um yeah i don't know it's i but that's that kind of thing just enrages me to hear that it's so frustrating
1: yeah and i mean that's the thing is like with the massive amount of information that is disseminated throughout social media in this day and age and for the last you know five ten years because of that overwhelming amount of information every single piece of information that you put out there almost exists as its own self-insulated self-contained vessel floating through space and you know people encounter it you know as it travels through space and it really in the way that that information is disseminated it really doesn't matter you know the context of it because in in what i just read a retraction to that study could be released the day after but it doesn't matter because it's it's almost a separate thing in terms of what that is trying to accomplish, the narrative it's trying to propagate, it's just it's just like once you put it out there, it's 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 out there. It's it's you've you've blinked a reality into existence because for the people who read it and want to believe it, it's going to become truth and nothing outside of that isolated piece of information matters.
2: Yeah, a hundred percent. And it's just so I mean and it's also too it's like there's so many preposterous correlations you could easily make for that kind of thing. It's like oh, I noticed all the killers uh, had, like, a steady diet of, of carrots in, in their, you know, um, in their diet. So, therefore, carrots are causing them to go insane and want to commit mass shootings. It's just, like, the the complexities of the human psyche cannot be boiled down into, like, these overly simplified, just sort of like, um, you know, boogeyman that they, they kind of like roll out every couple of years where it's like, Oh, they did this. And therefore this is the case. It's like, there's almost never a one-to-one ratio on that kind of thing. I mean, it's like, I think you could, the one thing you could probably make the argument about is it's like hard drugs and alcohol. I would say you're probably likely to make some bad decisions under those Um, But it's still like a lot of people do them and somehow manage to make them work for long periods of time. So, you know, it's just kind of insane to me to think like we're using these antiquated ideas of like this equals this, you know, and it's just preposterous.
1: Yeah, there's a there's a website that collects a bunch of data charts where they've basically found correlation between two completely disparate, unrelated things to just kind of illustrate the fact that correlation does not equal causation. And so there's a bunch of them on there. And when you go onto this website, you can see stuff like the murder rate in the United States is directly correlated with mayonnaise consumption, like it's stuff like that. And that's that's a real I didn't make that up. That's a real one. Um, No, I,
2: I. yeah, I mean, I, it's, it, but yeah, that's like a perfect like summation of why that's just so ludicrous. Because it's also too, it's like, there's plenty of instances where it's like people are like born into like really violent households, you know, and it's like, okay, maybe one of the kids comes out like, you know, a psychopath and kills someone. But there's so many instances of like people that aren't doing that, you know, where it's like, they end up going in the opposite direction and then, you know, maybe become the exact opposite of that and then end up doing, you know, some other is something good with their lives because they like suffered to this insane degree and then don't want that to happen to anyone else. So, I mean, it's just, it's so, it's just so silly that it's like, they're still relying on the, the this just like bogus data set for, you know, for these, these kind of arguments.
1: Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm not a data science or a behavioral science expert. So when I say these things, you know, to a reasonable gr- degree, I feel pretty confident in my sort of assessments of these things. But obviously at the end of the day, I, I, I am not an expert to be able to sort of make these assessments and have them, you know, just be objectively true or even to some reasonable extent accepted commonly accepted. But um, you know, to the point of some of these instances where there has been a a, a a shooter or somebody who, you know, has killed people in a mass shooting or like a serial killer situation, and they have directly credited video games or movies and said, like, I did this because I played counter-strike and it inspired me to want to go on this killing spree or whatever and you know and they've said that they've they've directly said that that did inspire them but you know to me with all of the information given these data statistics my own sort of interpretation of the data you know it, it seems to me like those specific situations are more about the person than they are about the thing And that, yeah, it's very unfortunate that this person was inspired to do these things by this media, but that it's it's less about the media and it's more about the person and the fact that something inside of them was there to begin with. And this thing just kind of unlocked it or facilitated it happening.
2: Yeah. And it's also too, it's like, and it's, it's like missing a really key piece of human psychology in that you can lie about these things. And I can say, Hey, um, I stabbed this person, but, uh, you know, it, I was really inspired by like Chef Emeril Legacy or whatever. You know, I mean, it's like, I could literally say anything. And it's like people would take that and run with it, you know, and it's like, and I might just be crazy as fuck. You know, like it's it's like it, it, there. I I wish there was just like some sort of um it, 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 some attempt to you know to kind of like put like that under a microscope of like maybe this person's like intentionally deflecting this in the way like you know some of uh, the the notable politicians of the moment are doing and like saying you know basically sending people on wild goose chases to distract from like real goals they have by just saying something preposterous and then everyone goes and chases that for a bit meanwhile they're like doing some nefarious shit behind closed doors that they don't want you to know about so um yeah it's just it's it's completely crazy yeah i mean
1: famously uh ted bundy in the in the few years leading up to his execution during his like final time of being captured and imprisoned and getting put onto death row he started talking with this evangelical preacher and he basically came out with this narrative that he sort of worked with this preacher you know to to craft and it was sort of a mutually beneficial thing between the two of them where this preacher had this agenda that he wanted somebody to help him sell and ted bundy sort of Maybe he wanted to be sympathized with or maybe he just was a psychopath and just got off on fucking with people, but he basically had come out in the last few years of his life and saying, like, I've found God, I've you know, I'm born again, I'm a Christian now and the reason why I did these things is because of porn. So he was basically like, I had an addiction to porn and the porn that I watched got increasingly more violent and I it, the cravings got increasingly more intense and then eventually the porn wasn't good enough and then I had to do these things. And you know, that was that was this preacher wanting to have someone help him further this anti-porn agenda that he had personally. And it was Ted Bundy either, like I said, some last ditch 11th hour gambit to to get sympathy or plead insanity or something like that or he was just like actively fucking with people and you know even to his grave wanting people like not wanting to acknowledge what he did you know to keep that from the victims and the families of the victims and you know society at large
2: Yeah. And it's also, too, it's like so much of the psychology of, of, you know, people like Ted Bundy or whatever is like rooted in control. And it's like, obviously, he's going to try and control his narrative and let himself off and not face any kind of accountability, you know? And I mean, it's like, it's just so, it's just so, I mean, thankfully, I don't think anyone really fell for that with him, but it's like, it's like, I don't see how you could, you know, go and like, I can't, I like, I'm not super familiar with him, but I mean, I mean, I know he like, he like just brutally murdered a bunch of women And it's like, if you're capable of doing something like that, I think, you know, watching someone take it up the butt was probably not the inspiration for that. It's like, it's just fucking ludicrous, you know? Um, but anyway, I, I, that, that was my point.
0: Point well made. In 1993, a man named Bill Peterson's son asked for a copy of Mortal Kombat. Not initially thinking anything of it, Mr. Peterson went to a local retail chain in order to buy the game. He was shocked to see what the content of the game actually was. Bill Peterson was like legions of Americans who were rapidly discovering a changing face of their country. Bill Peterson was unlike legions of Americans in that his chosen field of employment allowed him to be uniquely well-suited to actually do something about this issue. You see, Bill Peterson was involved in politics. He was the chief of staff of Senator Joe Lieberman. The first public hearing was held on December 9th, 1993, They were held under the combined governmental affairs and judiciary senate subcommittees. The presiding senators were Lieberman, Cole, and Byron Dorian. Hours before the hearings began, joint representatives of the video game industry announced that they would endorse and develop an industry standards rating system. But this didn't stop the panel of witnesses from being called to give expert testimony to the gathered senators, throngs of onlookers, and television cameras. The witnesses' panel included Dr. Parker Page of Children's Television Resources and Education Center, Professor Eugene Pavenzo of the University of Miami, and author of the recently published Video Kids, colon, Making Sense of Nintendo, released in 1991, Robert Chase of National Education Association, Marilyn Draws of the National Coalition on Television Violence, Howard Lincoln, Vice President of Nintendo of America, Bill White, Vice President of Sega of America, Eileen Rosenthal, General Counsel to the Software Publishers Association, and Don Weiner.
2: <laughs> no way, like from Welcome to the Dollhouse? Yeah.
0: Wow. <laughs> uh, and Don Weiner, Video Game Software Dealers Association, and Craig Johnson, the President of Amusement and Music Operators Association. The truth of the matter is that Lincoln and White used the hearings to attempt to point their fingers at each other and play the blame game for the industry's failure. Bill White was not as successful as Mr. Lincoln. Lincoln was a commanding performer and gave rousing speeches, and ultimately made compelling points that Nintendo almost exclusively made children's products and so should not be held responsible for the topic at hand. White came off a little bit more like a kid in detention.
3: I'd like to ask uh, both Mr. Lincoln and Mr. White the following question. As you move... And expand your business and uh, move into the adult market and uh, create product for the adult market only and sell it in your stores. Adults come to buy it. Do you have any way of guaranteeing the American people that their children aren't going to see it? No, Mr. White.
4: No, we don't, Senator. All we can do is work with the mechanisms that are uh, available to us, and that's what we want to do through this industry-wide coalition. And that's why we're so pleased to see the VSDA here. So that. So that. There's no there's no way in which we can
3: feel comfortable that the kind of material that some of us might think doesn't belong on the market at all isn't in fact going to get on the market and then be viewed by by children. Is, well, Senator Cole, it's, right. it's
4: similar to the motion picture. Yes, agency. it is. Yes, it is. I, I, and, I, and understand,
3: I understand what you're saying. Yes. I just want to clarify so everybody understands where this all leads.
4: There's an interesting difference between Sega and Nintendo in this matter in that we have moved ahead with CD technology using a CD-ROM player as an interactive entertainment device. We have Sega CD on the market. We've had it in the market since November of 1992. Nintendo does not have a CD-ROM device. They continue to focus their marketing efforts against children. We have recognized that the interactive entertainment market is far larger than just a children's market. The demographics of our Sega CD player, which are 60% adults, suggests that that is the fact. And we would like to see a rating system that will allow us to develop games for that broad array of players. But give the consumer the information necessary to make an appropriate decision for his or her family. All right. Do you want to say something? Mr. Lincoln. Well,
3: I I didn't realize that the hearing was uh, focused on market share. I thought we were talking about regulation of violence, but my uh my colleague must think differently. Let me say this. The the biggest problem we have here is in, in a rating system, is try to figure out some way of enforcing it. And 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 you, uh, Senator Cole, was a, a former retailer. Uh, I think understand that as as well as I do, of being a businessman. If we simply put these ratings, this game is violent on this packaging. However, we do it, and we don't have the cooperation of retailers. If we don't have some enforcement mechanism my own personal view is that that really may be a step backward. and We may really only be encouraging people to make more violent games. Certainly the industry is moving into different uh, territory with new technology. Uh, Nintendo, for example, is going to be coming out with a 64-bit system in the future, but the the point of that is that graphics uh, are going to become uh, much better uh, and my sense is that unless we can get everybody in this business, not just the video game companies, but the retailers and the government involved in putting a stop to the kind of things that you're seeing in Night Trap, we're really deceiving ourselves that we're going to keep this this kind of violence out of the hands of children.
1: It's weird how adversarial that they are, considering that you feel like they should be working together to try to you know, protect their shared interests. Yeah, they are. They are not. But the but the thing about yeah the thing about that was is that that the reason why and he kind of says it in there he's he's being very coded about it. But the thing about what he's saying is, Nintendo, uh, they were in favor of just censoring. They were in favor of like cracking down on allowing violent video games to be produced and sold because from their perspective they were like we don't want anything to do with that. We 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 make this is a toy for kids. These are this is a children's toy. We want nothing to do with a rating system. Just get rid of the violent games. This is for kids. We don't care about any of that. So they were they were in favor of hard censorship of video games because they didn't make those kinds of games and they didn't care. And they just wanted to stay out of that business entirely, whereas other video game companies, obviously, namely Sega was had had a, a more vested interest in not allowing censorship because their biggest seller was mortal Kombat.
0: there's also a point in the hearings where they bring in the konami justifier and they're like look look at this gun it looks like a real fucking gun and look at what you're doing sega and then later in the day uh the sega guy brings in the the like bazooka uh thing that nintendo has the, had. the, super, the scope. super scope yeah the super scope and it's just it just falls flat on its face He's like, "Look, they have a gun too. Look, they have a gun." And everyone's just like, "Yeah, I, that just looks like a tube to me." Like, I don't I don't know, man. It's not the same. It's really funny. It's also
1: funny to see like dudes in like business suits in a in a congressional hearing. Like having a pissing contest about the graphics of their systems. Like, well, actually, we're gonna be releasing a 64-bit system. Thank you very much. Yeah, but we have
2: we have a CD-ROM drive. I love, uh, yeah, I, I love hearing these guys talk about Sega CD and this like stiff, you know, congressional hearing. It's it's just so, <laughs> it's so surreal to see that.
0: After the hearing, Lieberman, Cole, and Dorian introduced the Video Games Rating Act of 1994. 1823. And in the house, Tom Lantus jump-started HR 3784, an equivalent bill. The bill would have mandated government regulation and censorship of video game content and a ratings board to inform the public. Ultimately, these bills were never passed. This was really more of a bargaining chip than anything. Lieberman wanted to make sure that the video game industry actually did their job and built a self-policing ratings board. Unsurprisingly, though, Night Trap, boosted by the controversy, sold over 50,000 copies during the week of the hearings. However, this success was short-lived. Two weeks before the Christmas season, Toys R Us and KB Toys both pulled the game from the shelves. This eventually caused Sega to fully pull the title from release, but that didn't stop them from selling 250,000 copies of it before they did. A second hearing was held in March of 1994. This time, the attendees were Tom Lantis, Jack Heistand, Senior Vice President of Electronic Arts, Mary Evan, Vice President of Store Operations at Babbage's, Chuck Kirby, Divisional Merchandise Manager for Walmart, Steve Longisberg, the President of American Amusement Machine Association, and basically, all of these people came together in order to reveal that they had constructed the newly christened Interactive Entertainment Industry Ratings Commission, and that 60% of video game companies had already signed on. EA, Sega, Nintendo, Atari, Acclaim, Philips, and 3DO. The major retail chains in attendance pledged not to sell any games unless they had the rating system on the box. This spawned the ESRB, the Entertainment Software Ratings Board, which initially launched with these new ratings, K to A, E, Teen, and M for Mature. These ratings exist for around about a decade and then around year 2000 or so, the ratings kind of get revamped which are the ratings that we have now which are early childhood E for everyone E 10 plus teen MA 17 adults only which is 18 plus and RP meaning rating pending ultimately the video game survives this attempt at censorship games are one of the largest entertainment mediums on earth with opening weekend grosses rivaling movies
1: releases and you know the ironic thing is that you can get night trap on the nintendo switch eShop.
2: oh yeah (laughs) i think i i think i bought it for like two dollars or something on that Mm -hmm.
1: because that because because the 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 coda to this whole thing is this was this was nintendo's sort of brand and business identity for most of their existence this idea of like we create games for children, we have a family friendly image and the types of games you pro- produce are family friendly and they're sort of triple A forward facing games still have that family friendly sort of f- facade branding. But on the back end, n- Nintendo doesn't give a fuck anymore. They're like, hey, you want to have your weird hentai game on our eShop? Like, <laughs> fine, we don't care.
2: Yeah. I mean I I I'm curious like I'm guessing it was uh Howard Lincoln you know leaving that that might have had something to do with that but I mean it, it was weird too cuz like there were definitely like Yeah, Reggie was like names. I love hentai. Yeah.
0: <laughs> if you if you take Howard Lincoln's name it's actually an anagram for hentai all day every day.
1: day. Mhm. Don't fact check that, because if you if it comes up not that, then you did it wrong, so you might as well just not try it. Exactly. The
0: institution of these ratings may be a good thing, and they may be a bad thing, but it just depends on your point of view. However, this moral panic and scapegoating of artistic and commercial efforts in order to, in air quotes, protect children, is something that our culture grapples with once a decade. Comics, video games, music, it happens constantly, and the culture is rarely better for it. Is it safer? Possibly. The question at hand is how do we interact with the things we find objectionable? Where is the line between free speech and objectionable content that's actually damaging? How do we navigate in the world? What type of world do we wanna live in? And do we wanna live in a place where someone else is telling us what we have the right to consume? These are all age old questions and they're not going away anytime soon. All we can do is think on them and attempt to arrive at an internal sense of consensus so when we're needed to voice our opinion, it's well-considered, well-informed, and (laughs) well-researched. Act three, if a joystick breaks in the woods, do you blow on it? I actually recently had to do that. Uh, we were playing Nicole's old N64 up at her mom's house and it wasn't working. And I like pulled it out, blew into it and put it back in and it worked. And I was like, yeah, <laughs>
1: it fucking works. It's totally, no matter how many totally times does. people say that that doesn't actually do anything. It works.
2: Well, yeah. And the reason is, is because it's like, it's creating, like it's, it's acting as kind of like a, like a, a conduction base for the the electronics in it and i I mean i what you're technically supposed to do is like dab it with um rubbing alcohol i don't really know anyone who ever did that and frankly it seems like a giant pain in the ass but for these games being as old as they are it's like in i'm sure having been blown in like dozens and dozens of times it seems like they're all still fucking working so i don't know uh
0: mr stewart what side of the issue at hand in terms of how these games had escalating violence. Uh, do you come down on? Do you think this was justified? Do you think this was a positive expenditure?
2: I mean, it's just, it's completely ludicrous, you know. I mean, it's like the idea of, like, someone going and playing a game. Like, it's like, you can just take anyone now and have them sit down and play Mortal Kombat and Night Trap and, like, they're not, they're not gonna, like, bat an eye, you know. And and it's like, you could make the argument like, games have gotten progressively more violent or whatever but, you know, as we've with the sort of like declining murder rates, it's like, it doesn't really have any effect on the outside world, you know? It's like, they're just two different things. And um, so, you know, I mean, to me, I think it's interesting as this piece of, uh, you know, kind of in the same way, like seduction of the innocent in these, you know, crazy, like Frederick Wortham trials were, where people were, you know, so uh enraged by this thing and then over time revealing how silly and ludicrous it was um it's just it, it, i I think it's it's very fascinating as a piece of kind of uh cultural history that you know these these things did make this kind of these kinds of waves but it's like i'm I'm definitely like a hundred percent against censorship I think it's 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 just something that's like I don't think it's ever going to work in the same way like prohibition or um, whatever is, because it's just like you're basically just trying to change the fundamentals of humanity at that point and it's like I don't see that happening in our lifetime Um, but yeah and also too it's like uh, back to my earlier point I think probably it's like prevented a lot of violent crime over the years just because people were able to like fire up You know GTA Five and run over a bunch of people in this like fictional world rather than go and do that in real life. So uh, you know that's that's my feeling,
1: Andrew. Yeah, I mean the the data and statistics that I read is all that 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 speaks volumes. Like you know I'm you know looking at that data, it's it's undeniable. It's you know it's inarguable. The the one thing that I could you know the one possibility of what you could maybe say is that. You know, the existence of these hyper violent video games or just hyper violent media might, you know, activate or trigger certain types of people with pre-existing dispositions towards certain types of violence, certain types of aggression. And you could say that this type of violent media, you know, might have some role in activating those behaviors in certain people. But that's such a slippery slope to saying like, oh, like because of these Isolated incidences where these t- this type of media can trigger certain people like that You know, we should we should censor or ban this type of content like that That's such a slippery slope of like where where's the line? Where does it end? I remember whenever I was working at super deluxe we had done this uh, Somebody had we, we had a bunch of animators that do would do a lot of these weird abstract animations that would just be weird stuff You know the company was supposed to be this like really hip kind of like almost adult swim for the internet type company and in that vein we would do just these very abstract pieces of content and i remember that for like national women's day some one of the animators had made this animation where it was this really like terribly animated like cgi giant woman that was like stepping on men just walking down the street they had shot like a like a plate shot of some neighborhood in LA. And then they had just composited these, these like sort of rudimentary, like CGI animations of this big woman in like a bikini, just like stepping on men. And it was just like happy national women's day. It was just like, it was just like that, that was the type of weird shit that they made. And we received a message, this, this literal manifesto from this person who said that this video had, like, caused them to spiral psychologically into this, like, emotional place where they were, th- you know, threatening to, like, go out and, like, start killing women and then they were going to commit suicide and all these things. And it was, it was like, it was really dark and scary. And, you know, the... Just from a legal perspective, they decided to just take the video down because they just, you know, just this random social video that we posted just didn't seem to be worth the trouble of this really dark thing that this dark message we got even if it was just fake or satirical or somebody just fucking with us or whatever it was a very easy decision to just take this video down but you know aside from that that you know that like i said that's a slippery slope this one person who had this very dark reaction to this video you know does that justify that that artist should not be able to express themselves in that way because of one isolated incident of a very negative reaction to it. I don't, I don't personally think so. I don't, I don't think.
2: Yeah. I mean, I, to me, it's like, it's just so, it, it, I think a lot of times these, you know, these like one offs or whatever, like this person who, you know, had this like insane reaction to this, um, you, you you kind of have to assume they're like in the the minority, you know, and it, to me, it's like I think most people are are pretty capable of like watching you know content and you know, discerning the or, or you know, I mean being able to like control their behavior over it um who knows what's what's up with that guy but I, I mean it's also too, it's like I do think, certain things like if you make something and you decide you don't like it later on like and you you pull that from publication or whatever like if like an artist is doing that um i still don't think that's like great but it's I'm a little more okay with it. Like I think Stephen King did that with that book, uh, rage, which is like about a school shooting. Um, and he had it, he had it pulled from publication. I mean, you can still get it. It's like, there's copies floating around, but something like that, I sort of understand. Like, I don't Really agree with it because I think, like, once it's out there, you should just maybe leave it. But also, but I don't know. I i have a little, I do have sort of like mixed feelings if it's the artist who's choosing to do that, you know. Um, that's all.
1: That's a It's a tough, it's, it's, it's hard to like because, like, you're like, as you were going through that, you kept being like, Yeah, but then there's the, like, there's like this weird thing where you can't quite land, you can't quite stabilize the log if you're, you know, if you're standing on the log in the water like you can't quite stabilize it there's 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 you're always like oh but there's also this detail it's like it's a very it's a very complicated um, issue and you might have a very overall opinion on it like my overall opinion is I don't think that things should be censored in that way because they might be triggering to certain isolated incidents of people that are inspired to enact violence but also but that's that's fucked up and, and scary that that could happen but I don't necessarily think that that means that it should be censored because there's such a slippery slope to that. But then also like it's scary. So you just keep, you kind of keep turning around in your mind over and over again.
2: Yeah. And I mean, it's just, it's like, I I think we're like, you start leaning on the kind of irrational or just like a rationality in general at a certain point, you know, because it's also too, it's like we could easily each of us go and get in our cars and then, you know, accidentally kill someone in a car accident. But is it likely? No, you know, but I mean, it's, it's possible. It's just, it's sort of like, it it kind of like moves into that area very quickly. And that, you know, your log analogy is 100% spot on, because it's just, there's so many variables. It's like, you can't really I think the bottom line is like you cannot control other humans behavior, no matter like what you try to censor or, you know, let out into the, the sort of cultural zeitgeist, you know, and I think you can choose whether to um, remove something you've made. If, if that's how, you know, if, if you feel really strongly about it, like maybe how, you know, George Lucas did with star Wars where he was like, okay, I don't want my theatrical cuts of this out anymore. And, you're just sticking with the special editions and that's that's how it is but um i don't know i I mean it's just it it just i I think it just gets out of control so quickly if you're trying to manage something like that
0: yeah that's kind of there's an interesting dichotomy to me because these these conversations around censorship are the core emotion is preserving innocence and the methodology of questioning has a very primal sense of bizarre innocence to it in and of itself like when when senator cole says can you promise me that nothing bad will get you know these video games will never get in the hands of children these these violent games can you promise me that it'll never happen it's like no motherfucker like that's not how the world works like jack the the thing you said about driving a car is so apt because it's a perfect one to one of like Yeah, you don't plan on killing anybody but living in the world unfortunately like I don't want it to be this way but it's dangerous and it's bizarre and there's unforeseen circumstances it's fucking chaos theory
2: well and and by the way too it's like let's take a poll of literally anyone who's fucking killed someone in a hit and run accident or a drunk driving accident and ask them if they plan to do that that day I mean it's just it's got it's gonna be there's a fucking absolute for you that's gonna be like as probably a zero percent or pretty damn close to it. And so it's like, th- th- that's just sort of like what it comes down to is just this like sort of like human irrationality where, you know, I suspect that guy yeah, I I'm, who I'm, I'm spacing his name right now. The guy who was, yeah, Senator Cole, like, Um, I suspect it probably woke up something very sensitive within himself where he realized like he can't actually protect his son from anything. Like there's going to be a certain point where his kid goes out into the world and could get killed or could get stabbed or could get attacked or hurt or, you know, something horrible could happen to him. And, you know, God forbid, like that's no one wants that to happen. But I think it's like his response to that probably had a lot more to do with his inability to kind of um, keep this situation under control, even with all of his money and congressional power. You know, that's just it's kind of a shot in the dark. But I'm I'm willing to bet that's the real, you know, to throw a nice little pun in here, the real genesis of why this stuff happened? So yeah.
0: Let me ask this then: Do either of you think you've? Can you think of a game that you've played that definitively, definitively did cross the line? Like something where you're just like, "Oh, this is too far."
3: Ugh.
2: Um, I'll, I'll 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 just jump in real quick. I there's. I think there's a couple games or uh, there's certain like movies I've found where, granted, I don't want them censored or removed or whatever. So like I'm very plainly stating that now, but there's a few I've like there. I can't remember the name of this game, but it was basically like I watched the trailer for it and it was essentially like. Hey, wouldn't GTA be cool if it was like done by a complete sociopath and like your only objective is to just like murder literally everyone you see in this like from like basically if you were like John Doe in Seven and I'm totally spacing the name, but like literally the game is to like brutally murder these people who are like screaming for their lives, you know, as they're like fleeing you and you're like gunning them down. And, you know, I mean, it's like. It's done in this way where it's like not funny. you know it's like it's it's like it's done in a way where you're like, I'm seriously worried about the people who made this because they seem like they're fucking psycho. Um, on a counterpoint to that, there was actually like I back when I did coverage in my early 20s, there was like a handful of scripts I read that like reading them, you were like, I sort of want to call the cops on this person because this is like reading like this like serial killer like manifesto, like this seems really fucked up and disturbing. Um, But I don't know, I mean, it's also like-
0: You can't just start that and then go away. Well, what were the movies? What What was one of them about? Well, Do you think he remembers so, the coverage like were, from his early well, 20s? There was
2: one. There's two things. So there was a movie that uh I'm not gonna say the title, but it's it was very low budget. And it's like watching it, I kind of got the the I understood the vantage point of people when I'm like, oh, I like horror movies. And then they're like, what's Like, oh, you're fucking weird. Because I watched this, and it's like these guys were like the leads of it. And it's like the in the menu uh, for it, I think they were like torturing some girl and like, j- I mean, it was just like this weird, like fucking like creepazoid, just sort of uh, bottom of the barrel, like nonsense. But I was like, oh, you're like watching this for like a, like you're like masturbating to this. Like this is just really fucking weird and uncomfortable. Um, I don't. It was just one of these things where it's like, oh, wouldn't it be cool if like we made like natural born killers, but like we didn't have any of the like satire or, or or nuance or sort of like emotional depth or intelligence in that, and just made it as like our masturbatory fantasy of like murdering a bunch of people. Um, it would it would mainly just be like th- that kind of thing. You know, Dave, I'm sure you're probably aware of some of these movies. Maybe you are too, Andrew, but they don't tend to, thankfully, they don't really like get much of an audience and they just seem to kind of like die on the vine after having, you know, a little bit of controversy. But I mean, stuff like that, it's like, I still think it should exist if the person makes it and, you know, gets it out there. But I'm also like really not a fan of that kind of thing. So, you know, I just use my discretion as an audience member to not watch it, basically. And I kind of leave it at that. And if other people like it, then fine. They can they can do whatever they want.
0: Like what's that game, Andrew, that we were talking about a couple of weeks ago? Is it called Custer's Last Stand? Custer's Revenge.
1: Yeah, I mean that was. I forgot about that. That was pretty much the one I was gonna say. Um, I I pretty much have an identical response, basically, with variations in the specific games or movies. But um, I don't. I don't personally want to censor anything. I, I, I. There are definitely movies and video games and things that I see or that I either watch or kind of hear about, and I'm just like I this is not my thing like i i this is too far for me or like this makes me feel really uncomfortable or whatever um and you know i basically sometimes i maybe watch it out of morbid curiosity or sometimes i don't and ultimately i just kind of want nothing to do with it but i you know if it's out there and exists i whatever I, I i don't i don't think that because i don't personally like it it should be censored or whatever i mean that and, and you know there's a handful of things uh I I think that this is well first of all, you know, Custer's Revenge, like it's an Atari game, so it's it's not like graphic or anything like that. It's literally just like little blocks moving around, but conceptually, you know, it's a really it's a really fucked up concept. It's a really fucked up concept for a game. It's it's this game where the point of the game is to Essentially, you're General Custer, you're fighting, uh, you know, Native American warriors, and the goal of the game is to get across the screen and then, um, rape an Indian princess. And this, I don't want to play that. That, That's, that's, I I have no interest in playing that. That is like, why? The, The game isn't actually fun. It's just blocks moving around. So really, you know, back in the day when that game came out, the point of it was that people played it because they just got some kind of sick enjoyment from the concept of it. And I that's disgusting to me. I don't I don't want to I want nothing to do with that. That's that's
2: which I mean, it's also too the thing that's so weird about that is it's like I think if you dared all of us to come up with the most like fucked up concept for a video game, it it, it would probably have a hard time reaching that and that when was that game made like in the 70s or something like in like yeah and it's like I mean maybe this is good but it's like I don't think we've come up with anything as fucked up as that since like since the 1970s you know and so I mean to me I'm hopeful that you know the the course of humanity is changing for the for the better but I mean yeah, I mean like that's the perfect example where it's like, a, like it's so insane that game got made. Um and yeah, it is incredibly offensive. You know, I also like, you know, I, I don't know if we should go and like burn the Atari cartridges or whatever for it. It's like, but I, I think it's like probably just leave that in the past and move on and kind of forget about it is is the best course of action. Because I think, you know, like when we were little kids the idea of, like, them being, like, these fully digitized actors, you're like, oh, it's like you're playing as real people. You know, it's not the 8-bit sort of, you know, pixelated, like, Mario sprite, whereas clearly an artist's interpretation, this was like, oh, these are real actors, and you're, like, ripping this guy's head off. And I always felt like I was kind of getting away with something playing that game, and it was fucking awesome. Like, I loved that. But... uh, You know, in retrospect, I think it's kind of a a strange thing that it like didn't raise any alarm bells, whereas like other things did. Um, I don't know. It's just it's it's funny to think about.
0: I mean, that was kind of when I when I was a kid, we got a Dell computer when I turned. I honestly don't even know how old I was. 12, 13, somewhere in there. Dave, you're getting a Dell. (laughs) Yeah. And it came it came with Unreal Tournament. And my mom and dad didn't know what Unreal Tournament was, and so as soon as I saw the disc, I like hit it. <laughs> you were like, squirrel it away, like <laughs> literally, yeah. I like I took it and I hit it. Like I can remember where we were in my uh, in my house in the like den area that was or the TV room, whatever the fuck it was called. And I like took it and put it in the seat cushion so my dad wouldn't see it. And News
1: like, from the outside world.
0: <laughs> yeah, and so and so for for like a solid like two or three years, whenever everyone else would go to sleep at night i would like i would like get up at like midnight put it in the computer and play unreal tournament and it was exactly the same thing that you're talking about jack where it was this kind of like i'm getting away with this yes i'm murdering all these motherfuckers It was great. Um, <laughs> Absolutely, like, yeah. There's. I think it's important though for for people just in general to have those. Like, I mean, that's such a harmless secret. Like, who cares? But it's. But yeah! it's, part, it's part of kind of like, especially when you're a little kid, like, kind of asserting your own individuality. Where you're like, you're always with your family. You're always in the environment, going places with your siblings or whatever. And you're, you know, there's ne- there's very few areas and pockets that you can have your own little like private fiefdoms.
2: Absolutely. A hundred percent. And also, too, it's like, I mean, the way, you know, I mean, I think we're all like roughly around the same age, but it's like the way you would kind of get, you know, culture like filtered through you was basically like you were like breathing through a straw underwater. I mean, it was so hard to get anything like you could connect with, you know, because it was basically just like, get a, you know, 40 channels, if you were lucky enough to have like cable TV, most of which were not directed toward you. And, you know, you'd, you'd get maybe like one to, you know, three movies a week from the video store and like maybe a video game rental. And that that was really it. And then you just sort of had to like get lucky here and there and maybe get like half an hour of content, you know, per day. And it's like having something like, you know, Mortal Kombat or Killer Instinct or Resident Evil or whatever. It was like a very vivid experience that kind of, like you said, it just ushered in your passage into individuality and kind of, you know, charting your own course away from your family.
0: Yeah, I was kind of a, I'm not gonna say I was a lonely kid, because I had friends, but I was an existentially lonely kid, because I didn't know very many people that were into the same things that I knew, like, I had kids in my age bracket that I was friends with, but they were kind of just, like, normal people, and I was the one in the corner being like, yeah, but but look at this Jerry Conway Spider-Man issue, or whatever, <laughs> and they would always be like, "Ah, oh, yeah, that's, that's cool, that's cool, dude, or whatever. And uh and like I can also vividly remember my cousins coming in from the East Coast one year. It must have been in '94 or '95, and he had the Sega Game Gear with Mortal Kombat. And they came for Thanksgiving, and it was a big deal because they were coming from the East Coast and blah blah blah. And everyone's like, "Oh, all the families together!" I didn't give a fuck about that. I was just like, "Yo, let me let me see that Mortal Kombat, bro. I'm trying to fuck some shit up with Sub Zero. (laughs) Let me play. Let me play that shit." It was like it was like crack.
1: I was both an existentially lonely and lonely kid. Let's just say that uh, I'm not good at fighting games because I only ever played against the computer.
2: Wait, you like never? Did you you never like played in the arcade with anyone Uh, at like a birthday party or anything?
1: (laughs) No, it's yeah. That's now you're now you're bringing up like traumatic (laughs) memories. (laughs) I I, uh, sorry. I actually I did go to the arcade a lot, uh, but so when I was a kid my parents would drop us off at the arcade whenever they wanted to go do stuff. So it was like a weird thing where like, yeah, just go here and we'll be back sometime. And yeah. <laughs> I, re- I remember that there was an arcade at our mall, but it was, it what it wasn't a communal experience. It was a weird isolated experience where it was just me and my brother just kind of like walking around by ourselves playing games. We didn't play with anybody. It was just like a weird, like we've been dropped off at this arcade and we're just kind of like, playing carnival until our parents get back from the
2: party or whatever yeah well it was yeah like I definitely remember a lot of I just think it was probably such a different time you know because like I, I remember having those experiences too where it was like you would just go somewhere and like your parents would be gone for you know like a million hours it seemed like doing god knows what but like obviously i didn't care about what they were doing i just cared about playing turtles in time or mortal Kombat or carnival like you said
0: yeah i, I it's interesting how the the how the arcade thing kind of just like died a bitter grueling death and then has now come back in this weird kind of like people drinking and trying to recapture their youth way yeah it's really. <laughs> like like everything in culture now i suppose but there's there's something exceedingly dark about like lonely 30 something year olds getting drunk and trying to fuck in the same area and context that they did when they were 14 but not you know but without the alcohol then <laughs> there's it's so strange or maybe with <laughs> or maybe maybe yeah maybe yeah yeah it's so strange
1: yeah it fe- it, it gives me the exact same feeling as i got when we went and saw ready player one that one night it's just like Somebody mining our like existential longing for a simpler time to get money out of us.
2: Yeah, although, you know, I mean, the weird, like, maybe I'm crazy here, but I mean, for me, a lot of that's, like, I, I look back on those, like, minor things like Mortal Kombat and some of these movies is like, pretty much my only, like, rays of, of hope I had, because, like, that period I remember being, like, extremely dark, you know? I mean, granted, like, this, this year is certainly giving it its, uh, it a run for its money, but, you know, for... For me, I just remember, like, there was just nothing going on in the 90s, like, being, like, a, a kid, because it, it was just so hard. To, like, I mean, if you were in a small town, it was really hard to, like, meet other kids or hang out with them, and just, it was like, you just had so little to kind of go off of. Um, but, uh, yeah. Did you, segueing
0: in topic to a little bit of things about you just as a person, uh, did you play a lot of VHS
2: games no um actually I mean interestingly I I mean I loved like you know board games and stuff growing up uh and I you know had like a had like an okay number of VHS tapes but I didn't really find out about those until I think like my 20s and then as soon as I found out about them I'm like oh these are fucking crazy because it's Dave I mean you you probably know about this but it's like they have so many deep cut ones that you like, I mean, nice tip of the cap to your podcast name, but uh, there's like a Robocop VHS game, there's a Star Trek one, there's a Star Wars one, I mean, they like really went buck wild with licensing them, and they just, I, like people just got too confused with them because they were like, it, it's just hard to kind of like focus on both, you know, it's like you're being told to do One thing, and then you gotta like redirect your attention back to the TV, and you know, it's a whole it's a whole deal. But uh, you know, I mean, I certainly I love that they existed, and uh, it'd be cool if someone like made a a new one. Maybe maybe they'll do that. Maybe they'll like bring bring that back in some fashion. I I wouldn't be surprised.
0: Yeah, or if somebody just made a movie inspired by them, (laughs) like that could
2: be cool. Yeah. Well, uh, we'll see. I mean, we can only hope.
0: No, I'm giving you an opportunity to pitch.
2: <laughs> what oh, what uh, did you well, do? Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I I was, I was just being uh, self-effacing but, uh, yeah. I mean, if people want to check out my movie, it's called beyond the gates. It's on, uh, in any place you can stream your movies like Amazon prime and iTunes and such. <laughs> i midnight, put it out. It's got the great Barbara Crampton from reanimator and, uh, sort of like a hard jumanji i guess is that is that a solid enough sales pitch for the beyond the gates (laughs)
1: beyond beyond the gates go watch it yes Uh, this is so off topic now but i i love i love those those old vhs games i i I love anything i don't know if this is how you kind of feel about it similarly but i've always been really fascinated in people taking a, a a piece of technology that has like a certain function, and then like reverse engineering how to do something different with that technology, and like reinterpreting its function to, within the within the context of a type of storytelling or a or a type of information delivery. I, I really love stuff like that.
0: What do you uh, What do you guys think Joe Lieberman's doing right now?
2: Being a tool. <laughs> uh, no, I don't, I don't. know. I mean, he he, He's he probably playing he Custer's Revenge. Needs- <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's- Yeah. I don't, I don't know what he, who is he's, he's, he's not, he's retired now, right? Yeah.
0: He's retired. Yeah. I
2: don't know. I mean, he had like that weird hang up with Jackass too, didn't he? Yeah. Which that's another, like one of these like preposterous things where people are like, Oh my God, like this is going to like ruin humanity or whatever. And it was like, "Mm, no, (laughs) it didn't, didn't remotely come close to
1: happening. No, they just, they made a couple seasons of a show and a couple movies and now they're just like in their 40s and very sad.
2: Well, I, it's like those guys are like really, I think that like they had like a lot of like physical issues from that too, you know, from which is, that's also sad too. Cause like, I know that behind the scenes on that, that show is like, they were giving those guys, you know, um, painkillers because it's like, you can't fucking do that stuff without being, like, in extreme pain for, like, long periods of time. And so, you know, I think some of them got hooked on it. And, you know, like, I know steve clean now, and I think maybe, like, Bam Margera is, but it's, I think it's really fucked up that, you know, this corporation was, like, making, you know, zillions of dollars off of these guys just, like, breaking their bodies, you know, which is, like pretty much irreparable past a certain point you know it's like that's like the one thing like you don't really get another shot with is your your health so um yeah i don't know i'm dave baker and i'm andrew price and i'm jackson stewart you can find me on the internet at heydavebaker.com where you can find comics like
0: fuck off squad and action hospital jack where can people find you on the internet uh
2: i have an instagram at mr jackson stewart
1: andrew where can people find you on the internet you can find me uppercutting dave so hard that his head shoots out of his body attached to his spine and then i uh we both turn into little babies and hug each other um and you can also find me at dapricerights.com where you can buy my book deadbolt ai private eye